Hey, if you think you might be lost because you got lots of new thoughts, I'll be informed. Or if you're feeling like a fool, cause you've been used just like a tool since you were born. Hey, if you're trying to get through life, then friend, I've got some great advice for not growing horns. They say that ignorance is bliss, but if you knew, then you'd be pissed, so get informed. Ladies, gentlemen, and those who lie if, uh, elsewhere or betwixt hims, hers, thems, and other, set your news timers. <laughs> Welcome, all you boomers, to Getting Informed, a Leftist Lit Podcast. I am your host, uh, who uh, is fucking up this intro, too, Colin Orton. And with me is also your host. That's me, also your host, Allison Gropey. And with us are our amazing and illustrious guests. Anna McGeary and Sarah Linares. We have been up since 5 a.m. and it shows. We will not, we will be the entertainment. Yes. Purely comic <laughs> relief. That's yes. it. No thoughts. And we will need it for this chapter. This is true. <laughs> if there's any chapter to drink, like whiskey alongside. Oh, we should do uh, a drinking game. Actually, no, I think we would have had like liver poisoning by the end of it. This no, you would die. You would simply die if you attempted no, to play yeah. any drinking game with this. With this, every time it's every time the United States breaks a promise, you take a <laughs> shot and then you die. Uh, every time the United States lies. Uh, but anyway, welcome back to Getting Informed. We are back at it again with the white vans with manufacturing consent by Edward Herman and Noam Chomsky, and we are reading today just chapter five which has an interesting title that Shit's I was long as hell, which is why we're just doing the one. Yes. Yes, indeedy. And boy, is it thick. But first we have no, 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 no. Colin, I'm setting the timer for Set 12 minutes. Can you do it? Your timer. Maybe. All right. Hang on. Oh God. I got to pull it up now. If we're doing 12 minutes. Okay. Let me know when you're ready. Also, I have an idea for another little bit we could do on the show, but I will wait until after the news. Oh, do it now, and we'll edit it in later. Maybe we won't. Say it. What is it? Well, I feel like since Colin gets the news segment and hog watch when we do it, which is kind of also the news, I should be out of segment. Yes. I would like to call it a trip to the scomalier, because I am a scomalier, a sommelier of scum. And I think I should be suggesting pairings with the reading. That's something I would like to do. Yes. So for this week, uh, with chapter five of ManCon, uh, anything but Full Metal Jacket. That's my, that's my suggestion. <laughs> like for media to consume? For media to consume alongside this chapter, anything oh. but Full Metal Jacket. What's Full Metal Jacket? It's a movie? It's a Kubrick movie that is, uh, it takes place in the Vietnam War. And, uh, oh boy. <laughs> That's the movie that has a, uh, an actually accurate drill sergeant in it. Uh, the guy, uh, the actor who played the drill sergeant in Full Metal Jacket was a real drill sergeant. And uh, he, he said that the lines in the script for the drill sergeant were not mean enough or long enough uh, for when he berates the soldiers. And so Kubrick was like, what do you, what? What do you mean? And so then he came back the next day, this guy came back the next day with like a, I think it was like a 40 page document and I could be wrong, but it was minimum like 40 pages of insults that he had written the night before, because the whole point of a drill sergeant is to break your like will 
is mm-hmm. to completely shatter the will of these young soldiers to make them into malleable weapons, you know, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. with no identity of their own. I used to love this movie because I thought it was the more the more accurate representation of what war was like, at least from the American perspective. But now looking back on it, like, you know, it's still it's just it's it's a bro movie for boys for anyone. But well, it is Kubrick also. So it has like it it does have a more nuanced understanding of of, it's not like Michael Bay. You know? Oh no, it's not a Michael Bay war movie, but here's the thing, Full Metal Jacket to this day, I did read an interesting article, which can also say a sommelier pair for this reading, about uh, how the movie Full Metal Jacket ended up seducing a generation of soldiers to go to war with its idea of, they kind of idolized that drill sergeant because of his horrific uh, hate speech he would hurl at his uh, soldiers, and it was considered weak to not be able to stand up to it. And so this whole generation of like junkies, adrenaline junkies that like, I want to be American. I want to be a man. Got to go be tested in war. Saw Kubrick's film, saw how this drill sergeant was verbally abusing his uh, soldiers and thought, that's how I become a man. There's actually a really interesting article on it written by a former Marine. That would be an actual pairing. And that's a trip to the Scamalier. Let's see if that fits. Incredible. Incredible. I think America's a bad country. Well, it's almost like we're a country, uh, the, the comparison has been drawn between America and like ancient Sparta, but really like any great empire, uh, America needs a permanent and brainwashed military class in order to maintain its global hegemony. And so we have essentially an entire industry of war propaganda because we need young men to feed into the meat grinder which is why i will never watch the monster hunter world movie because they made it war propaganda and they did not have to the dylan o'brien movie uh i think listen the, the mila jovovich one right yep dude monster I'm... hunter is a great video game and a horrible movie that is all mila jovovich was so good in the fifth element Oh, wasn't she? All right, Colin, you ready for some news? Yeah, do we want to go? Actually, uh, I'm going to go. Um, oh, no, there's no rhyme or reason to how this is organized. Oh, here we go. Oh, yeah. Okay, um, let's. Oh, it's already going. Oh, fuck. Oh, okay. Over 200 Seattle police officers have quit because they feel demoralized and unappreciated. Ha. Um, which is a thing that's also happening in the Portland Police Bureau, which is essentially all over the country. Police in uh, cities that have had, you know, defund the police uh, pressure put on it. Uh, cops have been quitting and going to more rural police departments where they have less oversight and more freedom to commit crimes. No, oh, ah! do they need that many police officers in rural areas? We don't know them. Many- don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> the feds raided Rudy Giuliani's house. Yo, for real? The FBI raided uh, Rudy Giuliani's house and confiscated all of his computers. Actually, I don't know if it was the FBI or not. Um, Federal investigators. I don't know what that means. Um, uh, I've had my my bang energy and I've had my protein slurry. I'm ready to fucking go. Uh, Anyway, it was the the feds. I don't know which organization, but they raided fucking Rudy's house and they confiscated his computers probably over the Ukraine shit from last year. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, you know how New York is losing a member of the House of Representatives? Mm-hmm. We were 89 people taking the census short of keeping that member. What? Uh-huh. No. Yes. Uh, oh, um, 
We're, we're hoarding vaccines. Uh, the United States, Europe, and Canada are hoarding vaccines as uh, like hundreds of thousands of people die in India. Um, mm-hmm. the, 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 the UK is sending like 10,000 ventilators to India and Biden is sending AstraZeneca vaccines. But like we, uh, the, the United States, Europe, and Canada were largely responsible for blocking a, I believe, a UN motion to... Um, free up the patents on the vaccines, which would allow developing nations to manufacture them themselves rather than relying on companies. We, as in the global West TMCR, blocked that notion, uh, blocked that motion um, so that we could continue to hoard vaccines and uh, profit motive capitalism. The people are fucking dying all over the world. And uh, um, I was able to get a next day vaccine appointment and people in India are dying. Anyway, uh, continue. Oh, um, (laughs) Uh, UK news, sales of milk and cream in the EU are down by 96% and chicken and beef by almost 80% in almost direct, um, like directly because of trade damage b- because of Brexit. Nice. Oh, sorry. Bwah, 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 speaking of, um, speaking of the UK, where's my fucking Boris Johnson news? There it is. Boris Johnson. Um, he said it was leaked that Boris Johnson last October. Um, they're trying to make me pay money for this and I just don't want to. Um, always. It just I Paywalls are immoral. Paywalls on news sites are immoral. We've discussed. Well, I mean, the, the hard part is that like, you know, yes, but also. But they need them. Yeah. But money. Yeah, um, Boris, uh, c- capitalism. Uh, Boris Johnson. I'm just reading the insider, uh, the insider headline here. Boris Johnson said that he would rather quote let the bodies pile high in their thousands than allow a third lockdown. And he said this. Uh, when did he say it? In October of 2020. Um, he said that rather rather than let the UK lock down a third time, he would just let people fucking die. Uh, and I literally let the bodies pile high in their thousands is what this man said. We love Boris Johnson uh, in this house. And by love, I mean fucking. When is he expired? <laughs> when is it time for him to go? Like, when is the. U- he might be. I've heard rumors about him stepping down because of health complications from that time. He caught COVID from uh, when he was like shaking hands and spitting into the mouths of uh, COVID positive patients to prove that it was actually fine. Um, The shaking hands is something he actually did. The spitting into the mouths is me being funny, but uh, he did, he did insist on like masklessly shaking hands with COVID positive patients to prove that it's not such a big deal. He This was uh, on the 27th, of April. Oh, today's May 2nd. Happy May Day. That was yesterday. Um, on uh, April 27th, uh, human rights lawyers around the world and International Council of Human Rights Lawyers has found that U.S. policing is a crime against humanity. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> We've been new. Woo! Uh, yeah, the, um, they, uh, this, interna- this International Council called on The Hague to open an investigation into United States police practices. The Hague, Sarah, is uh, what handles war crimes. Across the world. There you go, Sarah. Um, But the United States uh, practically is largely immune to war crimes investigations. We don't really suffer consequences because of those. Um, The Justice Department has announced that they will be investigating the Louisville Police Department in the aftermath of the Breonna Taylor shooting. Oh, only over a year later? Wow, neat. Crazy. It's almost like protesting is the only reason that they did that. 
Oh, uh, Facebook um, prevented their own employees from reading a report about Facebook's role in the Capitol insurrection. Um. They like intentionally crushed an internal memo about uh, how they were like spreading insurrectionist propaganda. So they sent out an internal memo and they crushed it? Uh, There was an internal Facebook report that concluded that the company had, quote, failed to prevent the Stop the Steal movement from using its platform to subvert the election, encourage violence, and help incite the January 6th attempted coup. Uh, And then basically the higher ups of the company quashed that internal report. Um, I back to middle school when Facebook was fun and not a place where um, <laughs> where hate crimes, where yeah. misinformation we spread. Mm-hmm. I think we all just lean in a little bit more. That might take care of it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Bring back Facebook. I'm just kidding. Please don't. So this was on April 26th of 2021 and this one's a lot less uh, this one is really grim. Um, but uh, a man named Andrew Brown, uh, who was a 42-year-old black man, uh, was executed in North Carolina. He had both hands on the wheel of his car. Uh, he was uh, murdered during a traffic stop during which uh, multiple sheriff's deputies, some armed with high-powered, uh, high-caliber rifles, unleashed a fusillade into Brown's car while his hands were firmly gripped on the steering wheel, quote ABC News. So he was essentially firing squatted by the police. And then, unless I am mistaken, uh, protests about his death have been clamped on, uh, clamped down on really hard by a state curfew uh, in North Carolina, as well as hundreds of riot police in a town of like 13,000 people. So North Carolina is essentially entering martial law because a man was gunned down and the state is refusing to do anything about his murderers. So welcome back. We're still in the United States. Um, Oh, in other news, Tucker Carlson told his audience uh, to harass people who are wearing masks outside. Tucker Carlson said, can uh, we go a week without Tucker Carlson as a shit bird news? Like one week, please. Um, Tucker Carlson said that if you see a child wearing a mask outside, that it is essentially morally equivalent to that child being punched in the face by their teacher at school. Uh, And that if you see someone outside, you should approach them uh, wearing a mask. You should approach them and politely but firmly ask them to remove it because they are making you uncomfortable. I want to write the jokes for Fox News. It seems like they have a lot of fun in the writer's room coming up with Tucker Carlson's, you know, one line. Well, Tucker Carlson recently cited Great Replacement Theory on his show. I don't know what that is. The, the great replacement theory is a racist pseudo, like a, like a, it's a racist lie that states that immigration is actually a secret attack on the white race. And that uh, black and brown people existing is just such a sad thing for some people. It's, it's, it's literally the theory that like immigration is a plot by someone to breed white people out of existence. And if you know anything about racist Nazi theories, you know who that someone is. They would put their name in double parentheses if this was online, as we yeah. discussed in um, Making Sense of the Alt-Right, if you can remember, Anna. So. <laughs> I do. I so it's, 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 surprise, surprise, Tucker Carlson is repeating actual Nazi propaganda on his show, which he's been doing for decades, but he's just getting less and less subtle about it. 
Has he owned up to whatever? Sorry. Can- no, absolutely not. But yeah. yeah, so that's our news segment, uh, which is to say, Jesus Christ, uh, things have been eventful. It's in been a past. couple of weeks. We got to keep recording on a week to week basis, because if we don't, this news segment is just going to get longer and longer. Oh, oh, my God. Last week, uh, the there NYPD uh, um, arrested a, uh, a protest leader from the Stonewall protests, which happen every Thursday uh, at the Stonewall in New York City. Um, and she was on her way home uh, from the protest and the police pulled over the Uber and arrested her on the way on her way home after the protest. They don't give a shit. Like, I think it's amazing that like uh, a police in the United States, for them, laws do not exist. Like, uh, it's quite astonishing to me. I. Speaking of people for whom laws do not exist, oh the boy. U.S. military. Let's, let's get on to the reading, shall we? It. All right. Thank you for your patience, my friends, uh, in listening to that uh, inordinately fast-paced, bang energy-fueled news segment. Can't you at least pick a better energy drink? No, bang energy fucks. Uh, Listen, bang energy fucks, but do you want to be fucking it? All right, so let's get into this. Today we are reading chapter five, which is titled, and I do want to talk about this for a minute. It's titled, chapters five and six are both about what they refer to as, in air quotes, the Indochina Wars. This chapter is about Vietnam, and the next one I believe is about Laos and Cambodia and the other surrounding areas. But just for a brief history of the term Indochina, because it gave me bad vibes when I read it, and I was like, I don't want to accidentally say something horrible. Uh, As far as I can gather from my research, the term is not currently considered necessarily offensive, but it's extremely outdated and has a lot of imperialist connotations. It was coined in, I think, the 19th or 18th century by a Scottish poet. Hell yeah. Who was referred to himself as, and again, I don't like this word, an Orientalist in that he had a very narrow, he had a study of India and China from the perspective of a white man. Uh, It was merely, the name only refers to the fact that this is geographically the area near India and China. The area contains Vietnam, Cambodia, Cambodia, (laughs) Cambodia, Laos, Thailand, West Malaysia, and Myanmar. Uh, And it's also super outdated because when when France did an imperialism on Vietnam and the area now referred to as Indochina, it basically just adopted his term and called the land French Indochina. So personally, I don't want to use it, but like, it's not necessarily bad to say. It's, it's as inaccurate as most colonial terms are. Yeah. You know, it's just say mainland Southeast Asia. It's, It's the same thing and doesn't have the imperialist connotations. But yes, today we are reading chapter five uh, about the Vietnam War, also known as the American War in Vietnam. We're going to see a lot of examples of Vietnam having different names for these things than we do. Oh, the name game is something that we do enormously well. Um, For example, uh, I had no idea... Uh, that the National People's Front was even the name for, like, was even what 
anything was called because okay, I had yeah. only ever heard all of the factions referred to as Viet Cong. Yeah. Let's talk about that for just a second. Viet Cong is pejorative. It's mentioned for highly it's, in the chapter. It's our name for the people we fought in Vietnam. Yeah. And it's just like, a, it's literally just a mishmash of the Vietnamese sentence that means a communist Vietnamese person. So like, it's not at all referring to the actual people or their policies. And it was, but again, this is specifically people in South Vietnam that were fighting against America. We're going to get into it. This chapter is a case study in the third and fifth filters of the propaganda model. The third being mass media sourcing from government and fifth being obviously anti-communism as a weapon against rhetoric. So let's jump right into it. How, where do we want to start? Just with the, uh, the setup for the war? Give us a new direction, Al, and we will follow. I got you. So, okay, let's see. Well, first of all, as a lot of people know, this war, the loss of which America lost Vietnam. Let's be fucking clear. <laughs> if anyone was under the illusion that we somehow won the Vietnam War, stop. Um, <laughs> like, we were more successful militarily, but the fun thing about a guerrilla war, and by fun I mean, is that a guerrilla war essentially is not fought with the objective to win, especially in an asymmetrical combat against an enormously powerful war machine like the United States. You cannot win against the United States in an actual military conflict. It's not how that works. Instead, a guerrilla army fights not to lose. The goal of a guerrilla army is to prolong the conflict for as long as possible until the war machine grinds itself out, which is what happened in Vietnam, essentially, is mm -hmm. that we faced so much resistance that eventually we went, eh, and pulled out. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, uh, like, uh, the media was blamed for... <laughs> Uh, homeland, mainland support in the U.S. opposition, despite the fact that until the elites decided that they wanted to pull out, there was almost no actual dissent observed in the media. And this really reminded me of something that was gone over in the book, uh, The Death of Democracy, which I highly recommend, which is about the rise of Hitler in Weimar, Germany, uh, which is the stabbed in the back myth, which essentially whenever an imperial power loses a war, which... The, the, the Kaiserreich was kind of a, uh, a, an imperial power. And my pronunciations are, are shit, by the way. Like, I, I've been pronouncing sick all wrong. It's, it's, it's sick, not sich. But um, I've been pronouncing everything wrong. Like, I, I do my best, but I'm not very good at it. Anyway, the Kaiserreich, um, when they lost World War I and were sort of changing into the Weimar Republic, there was a myth propagated by, mil by military commanders like von Ludendorff uh, of, uh, it was called the stabbed in the back myth, which was essentially that if we brave German boys were able to continue fighting the war, then we would have won. Obviously, we would have been able to steamroll over all of these other countries. Uh, and it was in fact the, it was in fact the fault of civilian leadership and the media turning the people against the war effort that lost them the war. Now, where that does was, that sound familiar? That was the stabbed in the back myth, which is what uh, Hitler was a huge, huge proponent of. Because if you just left the military to do their jobs, we would have won World War I. You fucking now, doves, how dare you? Does that sound familiar to anyone? Yes, in school, they were like, and the reason that we lost the Vietnam War and the people were so mad 
if this was the first time that we ever saw war on TV. Yeah, that's literally been burned into my brain. Yeah, they're like, people saw video TV tape, they said war bad. Mm-hmm. I believe this is a quote from reporter John Corey, but this was the beginning of the idea of, and I quote, television as an accomplice to the left, <laughs> merely because it was actually showing what happens. I also love that liberals in this country are ascribed as the left, when in reality... I love like, that. Like, in reality, according to, you know, if you asked the Soviets every American intervention is an act of counter-revolutionary aggression. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so let's just, can I, if, if, if I may, um, personally, I knew nothing about the, I knew nothing about the Vietnam War, except that it was fought in Vietnam when I first started this chapter. Um, so if I can, I'd like to just give a little brief how the war started. Uh, first of all, it's kind of a direct result of what was considered the first war in mainland Southeast Asia, which was Vietnam fighting for its independence from the French, which had been occupying it since, I believe, the late 1800s. They fought for a long time. It finally sort of ended, in air quotes, with the Geneva Accords of 1945. And, you know, wouldn't you guess it, the French were largely supplied by the United States during their efforts to maintain power over Vietnam and then yeah, the but yes um but the Geneva Accords of 1945 54 oh my god 45 is another year the Geneva Accords of 1954 which in essence, declared Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia independent and temporarily divided Vietnam in half pending reunification through elections within the next two years, uh, were immediately opposed by the United States in favor of establishing their own violent client state in South Vietnam with plans to, and I quote, resort to military action in the event of local communist subversion, which is an explicit violation of the UN's charter, like of the UN. Uh, but they, everyone basically believed that no, and I might pronounce this wrong, no, no, it's not Nago because I looked up a million pronunciation videos and the only person that said Nago was like this Southern elementary school teacher. Um, I believe no Ding Diem, who was an elitist, this is well known, everyone expected him to win. So the U.S. like didn't even bother for a second. But then guess who won? Communist Ho Chi Minh. Uh, who was immediately painted, him and his party, the Viet Minh, were immediately painted as merely puppets of Moscow. And even before the United States joined the war, they actively opposed any neutralization of tensions in Vietnam that would even slightly involve compromise or involvement of the NLF, the uh, National Liberation Front. Liberation Front, the National Liberation Front, which was what the Vietnamese people referred to their, their forces as rather and, than our pejorative. And the National Liberation Front was so powerful in Vietnam. It had 50% point, support of the population. That it, Vietnam was essentially a one-party state because all of the other parties lost support and were essentially politically destroyed by the National Liberation Front. The National Liberation Front was an enormously powerful political party in Vietnam with massive grassroots support. Especially from agrarian communities. Like... 
about 50%, and this is an accurate number, of the entire population of Vietnam was in support. This is both in the North and the South. Which for a multi-party state is crazy to have 50% of the population. Like in the United States, it's like, ah, we got about 50-50 split between the two parties that you're allowed to have. No, if you have a a state with lots of political parties, having 50% of the population makes you a fucking titan. Exactly. George Washington didn't have 50% of the population support for the American Revolution. Hell no. Hell no. (laughs) He did things with guns like a real American, god damn it. Mm. Well, uh, we support. That's how we run shit. Um, but it was obviously Russia. <laughs> obviously, Listen, it was Russia. George Washington staged a violent revolution over a less than five percent tax, like a real American always should. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it's always been shitty, you guys. It's always been shitty. We staged a revolution against the British over the fact that we went from 0% tax to 5% tax. I mean, it really makes sense why we are the way we are. <laughs> we went, what the fuck do you mean, brother? Like, <laughs> America really is the Karen of the world. We immediately complain. You know what I mean? Every, everything I learned about this stupid little country, and I'm like, oh, so we're the villains. We've always been the villains. And there are a bunch of villains, but we're definitely one of them. Since you've existed, everything we've done is bad. bad. Now, hear me out, Anna. I will absolutely agree with you, except for the fact uh, that uh, calling the United States little. Because we uh, violently expanded like a motherfucker for 200 years until we became one of the largest countries on Earth, geographically speaking. We are a big motherfucker. (laughs) A big villain, not a little one. <laughs> we are national, like international politics-wise, foreign policy-wise, we are essentially Darth Vader, uh, which is we show up and choke the shit out of anybody we want to, and then the international community kind of just pretends that it's fine. Because money. Money! I forgot that factor. We do got money. Uh, or we had money. Um, but... Uh, The United States didn't officially join the war until 1965, shortly after the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which, oh boy, will we talk about later. Also, I am going to bring up the American Service Members Protection Act. Do it. Uh, which was enacted in 2002, uh, which is a, uh, I'm just reading from the Wikipedia page, uh, which is a United States federal law that aims to, quote, protect the United States military personnel and other elected and appointed officials in the United States government against criminal prosecution by international court to which the United States is not party. If we are not in an international court, we cannot be held accountable by any international court. Uh, You mean like those UN things that we were breaking? Uh, Those war crimes things? Those are Um, war crimes. uh, The American Service Members Protection Act uh, authorizes the uh, the President of the United States to use, quote, all means necessary and appropriate to bring about the release of any U.S. or allied personnel being detained or imprisoned by or on behalf of or at the request of an international criminal court. Uh, This authorization has led to the act being nicknamed the Hague Invasion Act. Um, The act prohibits federal, state, and local governments and agencies, including uh, courts and law enforcement agencies, from assisting those courts. Uh, For example, it prohibits extraditions of any U.S. person from the U.S. to the court. Um, So as long as they're in the U.S., you cannot be extradited for war crimes. It also prohibits the transfer of classified national security information and law enforcement uh, information to the court. Um, And the act also prohibits uh, U.S. military aid to countries that are not 
that are a party to the court. So basically, if a court finds us guilty, we uh, don't have to give them any kind of aid whatsoever. Yeah, it rules. Um, uh, we're we, just so sensitive, you know? We are immune. Anyone calls us out and it's like, you're canceling me. Uh, it basically allows us to, if someone is taken to The Hague, we can do a military intervention at The Hague to recover our assets. No. We can, we can, we can literally take people accused of war crimes out of war crimes court. Okay, but was this passed just in the U.S. or was is this now? Uh, it was passed. It was passed in the U.S. But we have the largest and most powerful military on earth. So who's going to stop us? But it doesn't really matter. Like international law doesn't exactly like they don't follow it. They don't regard it. It's not their law, but it doesn't matter because we have a really big military. This is our law that we passed for other people. Wow. Oh, this is our warning law. This is this is a, a federal law that the United States passed in 2002. Too long ago. Immediately post 9-11. Oh, we said going to get oil, BRB, don't touch my shit. We said about to commit war crimes, try and stop us. <laughs> oh, we said, actually, I said war crimes are fine, so I'm going to do them now. I'm oh. turning off my read receipts and I am invading Afghanistan. As <laughs> long as we are not a part of a war crimes court, a war crimes court cannot find us guilty of war crimes. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I think you were really true. Like, I said I couldn't commit crimes, so how are you arresting me right now? Mm-hmm. I'm not on the police force. You can't arrest me. I'm just going to cry. Anyway, um, very interesting. Thank you for adding. Uh, just to round this up, we, the United States, the war itself went from 54 to 75. The United States involvement was only from 65 to 71, after which we pulled out because it was literally just because it was too expensive in both money and people. I thought that was hilarious. Right? <laughs> Actually, now that we're doing the math, it's just not. Uh, but, and yet the media was blamed. The, so the media was blamed for a lot of this, despite the fact that, and I have a quote here, uh, U.S. intervention in 1965, <laughs> intervention in air quotes, am I right? Uh, enjoyed near total editorial support, despite the fact that the U.S.'s immediate policy in 1965 included, and I quote, from a reporter literally pounding the place to bits. Um, bombs. So, uh, and I will say this was something that uh, was, pract- uh, this was theorized for the uh, Korean War, but uh, there was a plan that the United States uh, at the beginning of, uh, oh my God, wait, no, this is a recent article. Okay, never mind. I was going to reference uh, a, a plan that was drawn up by United States generals uh, at the beginning of the Korean War to simply nuke Korea into non-existence. Oh my God. Oh yeah, I, I saw a meme about that. Is that yeah, horrible? That was, that, was, that was our plan, was simply can't have any commies if there's no Korea. Um, Oh my God. But then I found an article uh, by The Drive, which I, I don't know if that's actually like a great source or not. It's automotive news. Uh, <laughs> but they, they allege that there was a similar plan drawn up in 2017. So who knows? Um, mm, so essentially like the United States always has like a little, a little clipboard in the background being like, we could just nuke them. And it's it is always on the whiteboard. I know. Back. Like someone accidentally used a like Sharpie on it. Like, we can't get it off the whiteboard. So maybe it was a sign, guys. Oh God. Um, but uh, I just want to point out that 
people accused the media of being unpatriotic in the way that it was reporting. But there's a... Who is accusing the media? Oh, who do you think? (laughs) But there's a really interesting quote I have from page 171 that said, the hypothesis advanced by the propaganda model is that in dealing with the American wars in mainland Southeast Asia, the media were indeed unmindful perhaps, but highly patriotic in the special and misleading sense that they kept and keep closely to the perspective of official Washington and the closely related corporate elite. Yeah, that's um, running through this chapter. American POV, American POV, American POV. Journalists really believe in the government, even mm-hmm. are the government's bad history. And like, despite lying, and they figure out that they're lying, but then they go back. It's like despite the fact that the uh the lies trotted out by the carter administration um uh, were as easily disproved as they were frequent uh uh our our media really just did not give a shit like and one of the things that i found amazing uh that this that this uh that this book brings up constantly is the propaganda doesn't stop like we've all been absolutely baptized in the Church of Jimmy Carter. Yeah, um, gross, you. That was a beautiful sentence, Colin. It was disgusting and beautiful all at once. <laughs> That's my aesthetic. Um, disgusting and beautiful all at once. Okay, anyway, continue. Second, like, like my parents, because I have boomer parents, my parents constantly reminisce about Walter Cronkite. What? They constantly are like, I miss when news was news. Walter Cronkite, Walter Cronkite. And, you know, so I've only ever heard that like Walter Cronk was, uh, you know, the, 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 the premier like fair and balanced TMCR news. And my man, my man, when Vietnam started was like, this is a right and just action to prevent the spread of communism, which is like, that's what balanced news is? Oh my fucking God. Like, oh, absolutely. The Fox News, fair and balanced, honey. Yeah, like, honestly, the media's reporting of the war was never truly fair and balanced because, as they point out, even when. Okay, as I have a quote, as the war progressed, elite opinion gradually shifted to the belief that U.S. air quotes intervention was a tragic mistake that was proving too costly. And only then, this is outside of the quote, this is just me, only then were they able to enlarge the domain of debate to include a range of tactical questions hitherto excluded. They were finally allowed to start questioning the moves of American generals, but even then there was no allowance to even think that the war was unjustified and we see I have another quote oh. I have another quote and then you can go Colin I have no, so please. many quotes please <laughs> please daddy okay as the war progressed oh, oh fuck at the war's end <laughs> don't you thumbs down me I am a liberated woman I can say please daddy if I want to <laughs> okay uh, quote as the war at the war's end the liberal media could voice the lament that the high hopes and wishful idealism with which the american nation had been born had been chastened by the failure of america to work its will in mainland southeast asia but no conflict could ever be perceived ever be perceived between wishful idealism and the commitment to work our will in foreign lands a comment that holds of the culture more broadly. How can you wish for peace and wish to work your will on a land that is not yours? So we have, we have this thing that we do. Uh, the, the exact same fucking thing happened with the Iraq war. 
the the Bush administration pulled pulled weapons of mass destruction out of their ass, and then the media went pull up a blurry JPEG and was like, "This, we're going for this," <laughs> and and then just like made up excuses to invade. Iraq and Afghanistan and like have like they we completely fucking destabilized the entire Middle East again post 9-11 basically for no reason except for sheer propaganda and oil control and killed millions of fucking people over the course of 20 years and the media is allowed to criticize the methodology we, we get media criticism of things like drone strikes and civilian casualties and CIA black sites. But never the ideology. We're, we're allowed to ask what we're doing, but never why we're there. I feel like that was a question I was asking often in school when we were teaching the Vietnam War. Inside of my brain, I was like, but what was the why? The why? What was the why? What was the why? Why, why, why? And it was never really given... An answer, I don't think, which is why I am here now in adulthood without the why and then discovering that the why is actually just imperialism. Well, yeah, it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's domino theory. It's the, 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 the why is we took up the cause of a colonial war because we would rather completely fucking destroy a country than let it be communist. This was absolutely a proxy war within the Cold War. Between us and the USSR, which... I'm so sick of... What, did we go through a breakup with Russia? Like, did we date? (laughs) Divorce. We... Like, what is our fucking obsession? (laughs) One of my favorite things that this chapter does is it um, juxtaposes our coverage of Vietnam with our coverage of the Soviet war in Afghanistan, which was, was another, which was another proxy war between us and the Soviet union. Um, and my favorite fun thing that happened in the war in Afghanistan is uh, the religious extremists who we gave weapons trained in those weapons and in insurgency tactics, the Mujahideen immediately became the Taliban when it was our turn to get involved in the country. We created the Taliban to fight the Soviets. Well, we created the Mujahideen to fight the Soviets. And then like a fucking Pokemon, they evolved into the Taliban a few years later. Oh, God. States uh, doesn't think ahead. There's no- we create most of our own problems. Yeah, I feel like therapy, maybe some. <laughs> well, like our tactic. All Americans to- need therapy. Our tactic to get what we want is destabilize other countries. And the problem with the tactic of constantly destabilizing other countries is that a destabilized country creates more problems. Yeah, I, why is it our immediate, I, I don't... Because, a de- uh, because we can then instill a violent dictator that does what we want in a destabilized country, and then we just kind of figure, nah, we'll deal with the problems created by that violent maniac later down the road, huh? Come on. And then, you know, like we, we destabilized a democratic nation in Iran because no oil. Um, they wouldn't give us the oil. And so we destabilized the Iranian democracy, instilled a dictator, and a few decades later, uh, there was a, um, a right-wing religious extremist revolution, and now the Ayatollah happened. Like, it's our fault, fully. We did this. Um, but one of the things is, it, it, this book asks the question, how did our media cover Soviet aggression? In- Do you want me to get those quotes, baby? I got them quotes. Please, Al. Um, absolutely, there are so many parallels between the Soviet-Afghan War and the Vietnam War, aka the War of American Aggression against Vietnam. Um, however, in reporting the facts of the Soviet-Afghan War, 
It is considered essential and proper to observe it from the standpoint of the victims. They always made sure to talk about the poor Afghan victims. There was a Rambo movie where Rambo fought alongside the Mujahideen. And yet, in the case of mainland Southeast Asia, it was the American invaders who were regarded as victims of the aggression of the Vietnamese. Page 177, bitches. Sorry. Yeah. And there was, like, just something that I saw, like, flying on Twitter. And Paul and I briefly talked about it at work, so I don't remember the details. But it was like, oh, some other country is, like, attacking... It was Iran. Yeah. Do you have the details, Colin? Yes. uh, Recently... Um, I'm so sorry, Anna. Uh, recently, uh, U.S. Coast Guard ships came uh, under fire by Iranian vessels in the Persian Gulf. Yeah, and so everyone was like, okay, but why are U.S. over there, though? Why are you acting like you're a victim? You showed up. Why is, okay, so why is the United States Coast Guard in a gulf named after Persia, which is what the Iranians call themselves? And then every like headline is like, the U.S. has attacked. Oh, like, why would you walk into someone else's house and get mad that they knocked you out? I don't. <laughs> like, they're that's, not- that's what we do is we show up on somebody else's doorstep with the biggest guns that have ever been invented by humanity. And then we get really mad when the person whose house we showed up at doesn't invite us inside. That's some cancer-ass energy, United States. And I'm not looking for a stallion with cancer in my country. Sorry. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, America is a cancer moon and Aries rising. It is a cancer moon. Which is oh, what Colin is. Like that. I love, I'm an Aries. Colin is an Aries with a cancer moon. And what's your rising, Colin? I don't fucking know. I'll send you my birth chart off the show. <laughs> I don't want the, first the thing on our page- audience. Yeah, yeah, first thing on <laughs> first thing on our Patreon is going to be access to our birth charts. Okay. <laughs> Colin's an Aries sun, Aries rising, cancer moon, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I know that because I looked it <laughs> Very good, Sarah. Sarah with the facts. Sarah with the deets. Okay, um, um, but I would also like to point out briefly, and then Colin, I'll let you finish. No, is please. That, uh, we, we also strongly blamed the very people that we claimed to be fighting for once we entered Vietnam. We got into Vietnam, we saw that we were losing, and instantly, instead of blaming the U.S.'s unjustified quote-unquote intervention, they blamed, quote, our Vietnamese for, quote, corrupting and manipulating our idealistic intentions. Oh, okay. Which I feel like they they may have done in, I don't know, was it Iran? Was it, that sounds familiar, you know? There's also this narrative that the the enemy, uh, the Viet Cong, uh, were like farmers with rifles, like squatting in the woods. The, the, The National Liberation Front, by the time they fought the US, were veteran combatants with a modern military. Like they had, they had already fought France for years. They were veteran soldiers equipped with Soviet weapons. Like they, they were a real fucking army. And the fact that our media was like, "Oh, they're pathetic farmers," like we we refuse to take. It's a really interesting, actually, uh, thing that fascism does, uh, which is where the enemy. Uh, if you listen to our Umberto Echo episodes. The enemy is uh, always simultaneously laughably, uh, laughably weak and terrifyingly strong. I thought of the same thing, dude. Ah, um, which uh, the, the the enemy cannot be a competent military 
like with sophisticated weaponry, but and also yet they're manipulating and corrupting us. And they're the reason we are too weak to continue. Yeah. It's, oh, it's dog shit. Um, I have, I have here uh, the principle, the principle of U.S. intervention and uh, U.S. P- policy, which is uh, that military force can never be used to uh, achieve a, a country's political aims, which we, uh, we then police by using military force on those countries to enforce our political aims. Yeah. We, we, prov- we in, uh, make sure that other countries use their political, uh, use policy morally that they avoid violence by using insane violence on them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I will also say, uh, it brought me back to the chapter about El Salvador. I think that was more because they were talking about victims. It was a little bit more detailed and more like gory. This was more like when you learn about mass, um, not, it's not incarceration. It's the only thing the brain can think of. Extermination. Pardon? Uh, like our exterminationist military tactics. Basically. I think in, when the USSR went to Afghanistan, the word genocide was thrown out a lot in our media, and we somehow lacked that sentiment when we were talking about what was going in Vietnam, which I think is very ironic because it was, you know, essentially a, a genocide of people. We almost entirely, after the Tet Offensive, began attacking South Vietnam instead of North Which Vietnam. was who we were supposedly defending. We just, we just started attacking Vietnamese villages because of the political power of the National Liberation Front. Because this was such a well-supported political organization, uh, there was a lot of talk in this book about how the United States could not engage with the National Liberation Front in a political arena because they were a widely supportive hearts and minds uh, to quote um, uh, like war in Afghanistan propaganda. We are there to turn people's hearts and minds. The issue was that the hearts and minds of the Vietnamese people had been staunchly turned against us because of our psychotic tactics. Well, yeah, gee, I don't know. I don't think I would want to talk or anything. My family. And so uh, one of the most psychotic quotes I've ever heard in my life came from uh, United States military personnel, which was, we had to destroy the village to save the village. Okay. Uh, that reminds me of something I either read in this chapter or the chapter about Vietnam and the people of the United States. They're overlapping. <laughs> they, I read them at the same time. Um, someone was quoted as saying, like, Oh yeah, at this point, like we got some more eyes on us, on our like military bullshit. So we kind of have the choice to like bomb the really populated city, we could do that, or we could just bomb like all the crops and the water and then people will starve. Oh, you could dam? Yeah. yeah. That's what they tell everybody, but it'll be like a slow burn. So let's do that one. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? I mean, we can see the same thing with the Obama administration. Uh uh, drone striking hospitals and weddings and school buses. Oh my god! Um, because there may have been an enemy insurgent in that hospital, but um, I no, have you, a related quote. Please, Al. 
Uh, well, this is again in the, this is in the section reporting on the war, which is much later in the chapter, but we're kind of like covering everything as we go. Uh, the U.S. media reported on atrocities committed by the U.S., but from the standpoint of the aggressors. One had to turn to the foreign press to find reports from zones held by the South Vietnamese enemy. For example, those of the pro-Western correspondent Katsuichi Honda, who repeated who reported in the Japanese press in the fall of 1967 from the Mekong Delta, describing attacks against undefended villages by gunboats in the Mekong River and helicopter gunships firing away at random farmhouses, using the farmers for targets as if in a hunting mood. They are hunting Asians, he said. This whimsical firing would explain the reason why the surgical wards in every hospital in the towns of the Mekong Delta were full of wounded. His reports were available only to readers of anti-war literature, not the quote-unquote objective media, which had no interest in how the war might appear from the standpoint of the Vietnamese victims of the attack by the United States and the local forces it established. And uh, to When I read the- that, they are hunting Asians. It just hurt so fucking bad. The chapter really hurt, honestly. I think I said to Anna before, I was like, I just feel so bad for, for A, for all the people in um mainland oh god southeast china southeast asia sorry i'm very bad with you for all of those people whose lives are taken and destroyed and then also all the people who are like fighting that war senselessly and are like there without really any rhyme or reason it like it just feels like big boys at the top are puppeting around other people and it sucks it really hurts I have uh, a thing that uh, what, what really struck me was the fact that like the My Lai massacre. Uh, which oh, is, my God. Oh, my God. Keep going. Yes. You know, one of the most famous examples of like hideous American war crimes was more the rule and less the exception. And the fact that it's not framed that way is because most deaths, uh, most deaths like sort of trickled out over time, you know. And it was only because of like poor PR management that the My Lai massacre got into the press at all. Like the fact that, you know, United States uh, soldiers just killing civilians left, right and center is incredibly common in wars that we get involved in. And this is just something that like we do too often. The military is used to kind of suppressing and that like, the nature of war is that these things are usually not discovered because the bodies get scattered around or buried haphazardly or whatever. And so only a few are ever discovered at a time. And to make matters worse, that racism that allowed for people to hunt other people for support from gunships came home. And in the book, Bring the War Home, which I highly recommend, it's about the rise of the the militia movement in the United States, Uh, the author credits Vietnam as one of the greatest uh, boons for the rising Nazi movement in the U.S. because you had a bunch of deeply traumatized men who had been trained to commit violence, who had entered a war zone against their will, and who had been indoctrinated with incredibly racist ideology for years. And they came home and then felt abandoned because our country basically laughs at its veterans in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And so like there was a Texas, uh, uh, oh no, was it? I don't remember what state they were in, but there was a a neo-Nazi group that had a a training camp uh, called Camp My Lai. 
Oh my God. Which they named after the massacre because they uh, thought it was a good thing actually. Um, And they did military style weapons training at a camp named after a Vietnam war, war crime. So it created this subculture of white nationalist extremists in the United States that had been trained in Vietnam or idolized the violence of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. The only reason the My Lai Massacre was actually publicized eventually was because of one pilot named Ridenhauer that refused to let it go. And I have a quote here from 197, the highest ranking officer to have faced court martials charges for the massacre, Colonel Oren Henderson, stated that, and this is directly related to what you said, Colin, Every unit of brigade size has its mylai hidden someplace, although every unit doesn't have a Rittenhauer to expose what had happened. 